I think that there is a lot of confusion about grace. That is, what God's grace means to us and what it means to be free from sin and to be free in general. I think there's a lot of confusion about that. And the reason that I think that is because people tend in our culture to have very individualistic ideas of what it means to be free. And so to them, if I am free, that means I can do whatever I want. And so uh, even then when you get into issues of grace, uh, it, it becomes more of an issue of permission rather than grace and more of a I can do this rather than I'm forgiven if I do that. Which is why you hear people say things like uh, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Right. You've ever heard somebody say that? Maybe you've said that before. Right. You, you go, oh, I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I'll ask for forgiveness afterwards because I don't think it's really that big of a deal. I, I think by and large, we have a lot of people that feel that way about sin in general. You know, I think it's probably OK. I mean, I know that it's not, but I'll just do it anyway. And I'll just ask for forgiveness afterwards, which meant I just feel like I should be able to do it anyway. Right. That, that's where people find themselves. And, and so that's the issue that we want to address this morning in Romans chapter 6. And so if you would turn with me to Romans chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 15. But I want to re- remind you really quickly of what's happened in, in Romans 6, uh, 1 through 14. In Romans 6, 1, he said, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? That is, should we continue to sin if we are forgiven, if God has given us His grace, shouldn't we just then continue to sin? And the more we sin, the more God's grace is there and the more He's praised for how gracious He is. Shouldn't we just do that? And he makes this argument, no, that's not absolutely not the case. We should not indulge in sin just to multiply God's grace uh, because we have died to sin. And we are alive with Christ. And so we should not do that. And then he finished uh, this way in verse 14. He said, um, For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Okay, so that's where he finishes in in verse 14. Uh, For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. And then it starts in verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. 
For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Starting then in verse 15, he asks the same question again, right? What then? What then? You, you've just said uh, that um, sin will have no dominion over us because we are not under the law, but are under grace. We are not under the law, but are under grace. And for, for those who grew up with the law, right? They grew up in, in a Jewish culture and the law was everything. The law was handed down uh, from God to Moses on the top of the mountain. And Moses carried the law down and gave it to the people and said, This, this is the way that you will interact with God. This is the way. This is the law. The regulations, the instructions about how you are to relate to God. It is this way, it is no other way. Only this way. And then, later, Jesus came, he died, he fulfilled the law, he says. He rose again from the dead, conquering sin and death, and now we are set free from sin. And Paul has been saying, and therefore, are free from the law. We are free from the law. And now those people who have this very, uh, very firm grasp on, wait, wait, wait a second, time out. The law is the way in which we relate to God. The law is the way in which we, we relate to God. If we don't have the law, what does that mean? Does that mean we can just continue in sin because it doesn't matter? Because the law is all we've got. And in fact, from the, from the time of Adam, right, Adam sinned, and then since then, all mankind has been in sin. And the only restraint that they have had against that is law. This is how we interact with God. How do I know whether or not I'm serving God because I am, I'm sinful in my nature, well, I have this law. And so if I keep the law, if I follow the law, then I know I am following God. And the understanding was, if we don't have the law, then what? If there's no law, there will be complete chaos. If we don't have the law to tether people, to, to hold people, to tie people down, then they'll just be able to do whatever they want. They'll be free. And that means chaos. And so when he says in verse, at the end of verse 14, for we are not under law but under grace, even though he has very clearly said, no, you cannot indulge in sin just so that the grace of God may abound. Now he finishes that whole section in verse 14 by saying, and it's because you're not under law, you're now under grace. And some of you might think, hang on, time out, if there's no law, if we're not under law, then we are just under grace, and that just means that freedom for everybody, they get to do whatever they want. And this is a problem. What's he say to this? What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Don't, don't you understand what freedom is? Freedom, freedom from sin doesn't mean freedom to sin. Uh, 
I'm going to say that again. Freedom from sin does not mean freedom to sin. Lots of confusion about that. It seems very simple. It seems very simple. If you are free from sin, that's not the same as being free to sin. Those are different prepositions. We, it, it, it's two completely different sentences. And yet, that's what people think. I can sin. Because I'm free. Wait. No. That's not what that means. I, I was talking with a friend of mine one time, and he was saying, yeah, I really struggle with this sin, but that's okay, because God's grace covers that. And I went, whoa, whoa, uh, yeah, okay. There's forgiveness for, for sin, but uh, so you're just going to give up? You're not going to fight it anymore? He goes, I mean, why? You're not perfect. Well, okay, good, thanks for throwing that in my face. But, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not perfect. He goes, and there's forgiveness for your sin, right? Yeah. So, I'm forgiven for my sin, so I'm just going to... what? Well, Time out. There's a difference. There's a difference. Great grace is God's grace to us. If He forgives us for sin and frees us from it. He does not forgive us for sin and free us to do it. And yet that, that's, that's the thing that people hold to. Be- because they have this idea that if I am free, that means I am autonomous. I'm autonomous. I'm an individual. I get to do whatever I want. Even though the word autonomy, if you, you take that a, a, a word apart, autonomy, self-law. I govern myself. I rule myself. I am my own law. I decide what I can and cannot do. And so this is what these people are afraid of. As he says, you're not under law, but you're under grace. The thing that goes off in their mind is they go, oh no. If we don't have the law to restrain us, then everyone is autonomous. They are their own law. They can do whatever they want. And Paul's going, no. No. Because don't you understand Don't you understand that when you obey someone, you are acting as their slave? When you are obedient to something, you are acting as the slave to that thing, whether or not you have been set free. What kind of a slave, once set free, goes, you know... I was just much more comfortable as a slave. I think I'll go back. I preferred it, actually. Who would say that? Well, the Israelites said it. They were freed from Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. God sent a deliverer. He delivers them out of there. He frees them from slavery. He brings them into the desert and says, all right, you're free from that. And they complained and went, you know, all of this walking is just hard. I want to go back to hard labor slavery. 
And you read it and you go, that doesn't make any sense at all. What were the Israelites thinking? Don't they remember what Egypt was like? Don't they remember how they were treated? Don't they remember how hard it was? Don't they remember how great it was to be freed of that? Don't they know how wonderful it is to be tied to God that He is providing for them every single day, giving them everything that they need so that their sandals don't wear out? They're never hungry. He's with them always. Don't they know how great it is to be free from that? And yet they're grumbling and complaining and going, you know, I really should, I wish we could go back and what Paul is saying here is that we're doing the same thing when we go back to sin you've been freed from that you don't have to do that anymore and yet we find ourselves going well you know I just I really liked the sin there's sort of something self-indulgent about that It just made me feel really good. Okay, sure, fine. But don't you remember? Don't you remember the, the yucky feeling that you had afterwards? Don't you remember the shame that you had afterwards? Don't you remember how that broke relationship with other people when you did that? Because you didn't feel like you could talk about it and you didn't feel like you could tell them about it? Don't you remember how that made you feel like you couldn't go to God and you didn't have the freedom to talk to God anymore because of this thing that you were ashamed of and you were holding on to? Don't you remember all of that? You're free of that. Why would you go back? Why would you pretend to be a slave once you've been freed? Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one that you obey? Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Don't you know that if you present yourselves as obedient slaves, you're slaves to the one that you obey? And then he gives this contrast. Either of sin... Or of the obedience to God which leads to righteousness. Those are your choices. See, we want to have this middle ground that says autonomy, self-law. I'm I'm my own law. That's what freedom means. And he says, no, 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 no. That's not what freedom means. Freedom means if you were set free from sin, you now get to have a new master of God. That's what freedom means. Freedom means better mastery. It doesn't mean self-mastery. It doesn't mean self-law, self-governance. That's sin still. You deceived yourself thinking that having been set free from sin, you are now your own law, but that's just selfishness. And that goes right back into sin again. This idea that you could either be, have sin or God or some third way that's sort of in the middle, kind of in between and not really one or the other, but maybe it's a little bit toward the God side because I'd like to think that. That's not there. That's not an option. Some of you are sitting on this side of the church and some of you are sitting on this side of the church. No one's sitting in the aisle way here. There's no chairs in the aisle way. That's not a real choice. That's, that's not an option. Now, don't get up and just sit on the floor. I realize, 
I realize that all analogies break down and that one just did. But, but when you come out of sin, you are going to God. And if you are not with God, you are in sin. Those are the two options. And so the idea that you could be freed from sin and not be indebted, enslaved to God, that's not there. That's not a realistic thing. Even though many people want to have that, they want to not feel yucky about their sin. They want to be freed of the shame, but they don't want to be devoted to God. And that's just not a choice. He says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to, to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves to sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Okay, going back to this law thing. We're no longer under law. We're now under grace. The law has been taken off. What does that mean? Does that mean that everybody gets to run around doing whatever they want? And Paul's clear answer here is no, that, that's, not, that's a misunderstanding of the law entirely. The law is there as an external constraint to help people to to do the things that they should be doing when they otherwise might not. That's why the law is there. That's why we have laws. If everybody was nice to one another and responsible for themselves and did the kinds of things that they should be doing, then we wouldn't have to have law. Everybody could be self-governing. They could do the things that they wanted to do and it wouldn't cause a problem for anybody. But the reason that we have to have law is because people are idiots and they don't do that. So we have to have this external constraint that ratchets up the consequences to make them or strongly encourage them to do the things that they should otherwise already be doing. And so we ratchet up the consequences so that if they don't do those things, if they don't treat other people nicely, we shouldn't have to tell you, don't kill somebody. Don't kill somebody. You're not allowed to kill somebody. Why do we have to tell people that? Really? I have to tell you don't kill somebody? But somebody does. They go, you know what? Forget this. I'm going to kill somebody because I don't care. What's going to happen? All right. You had some freedoms, but according to the law, if you do that, now there are constraints. You're going to jail. We ratchet up the consequences so that when somebody pulls out a gun and goes, you know what? I'm going to kill somebody. Oh, hang on. If I do, I might go to jail for a long time. I'll put the gun away. Maybe by having this external constraint with ratcheted up consequences, they will begin to think about it just a little bit longer than they otherwise would if there were no external consequences. That's why the law is there. It's to try and help encourage people to do the things that they should already be doing. Okay, so now Paul's saying, but you're not under law anymore. And the people are going, oh no, 
Now they're unrestrained. What are they going to do? They can do whatever they want. Paul says, okay. But they're slaves to God. They're free from sin. They're free from doing the things that they shouldn't be doing. They're free to do the things that they should be doing. They're free to be slaves to God now. We no longer need the law as an external constraint because now you're motivated from the heart to do these things. That's what it says in verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once enslaved to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. I'm now self-motivated. It's coming from within that I want to do these things. I don't need the external constraints anymore to tell me what I, I should be doing. I already want to do them. That's the freedom from sin that enslaves me to God. How freeing is that? How freeing is that? And there are some that are going to, oh, hang on, time out. So wait, I'm enslaved to God now? That doesn't sound free. I thought I would get to do whatever I wanted. Okay. Well, want to do what God wants. And then you do. Because the other stuff is sin. And those are your only two options. In verse, 17, uh, verse 18, he says, And having been set free from sin, have become slaves to righteousness. Because whoever you obey, that's where your allegiance is. That's where your allegiance is. We find this all the time. Where two competing things happen. And one is vying for your attention and your energies and, and for you to do something. And the other thing is also vying for that same thing. The thing that you do shows where your allegiance is. You've, you put a priority. And so when one of my friends calls me up and says, hey, do you want to go fishing? I go, yeah, I definitely want to go fishing. And I check with my wife. Because I love fishing for me, and I love my friend and want to spend time with my friend, but my allegiance is to my wife. And sometimes she goes, yeah, go ahead and go. And other times she says, well, that would leave me with all five kids for the whole day. And then I know, I'm staying home. Because I love fishing and I love my friend, but my allegiance is to my wife. And this is what happens, right? Who is your allegiance to? When we find ourselves in sin, it's demonstrating that our allegiance is to the sin or our allegiance is to ourselves and not to God. But thanks be to God. That we who were once enslaved to sin have now had our hearts changed and are obedient to the heart to these instructions. Now we get to follow him from our hearts. He says in verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as once you pre presented your members to slaves. Let me try again. 
For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. We we talked about this last week, this sort of presenting arms, right? If you're looking at it from a military perspective, you step forward and you present arms. This is what I've got for service. And so now he's saying, just as you once presented your members to, as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to even more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Now we present ourselves to God and we say, God, here I am, use me. Here I am, use me. Here's what I have at your disposal. I want to be obedient to you. And it leads to our sanctification. Verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But the fruit, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. He says, when when you were enslaved to sin, before God set you free in Christ Jesus, before he did that, you were enslaved to sin and you were free from righteousness. You you didn't have to obey God. You had a a master of, of sin. You were slaves to sin. But when that was the case, what were the consequences of that? Where did that lead you? Where did it get you? How did you feel about that? But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? Because the end of those things is death. All of those things that we think about, that was me before. That was me before I believed in Jesus. That was me before I followed God. Man, I wish I didn't do those things. Did you ever do anything as a kid that you wish that you hadn't done? Things of which you are now ashamed? And I have plenty of those. For the most part, I was a pretty good kid, but I can remember things that I said to people or I did to people, fellow students. I just wish I could go back and undo that. It seemed really cool at the time. Everybody was laughing. Everybody was having fun. Except for the person that I was picking on. But everybody else thought it was cool. And now I look back at that and go, How can I tell my kids not to do that? So they don't feel that way about the things that they do. There are things much more recently than that. That I go, how did I still, how did I still do that? I know better than that. I'm a pastor for crying out loud. I teach the book. How did I end up doing that? 
And I come back to God and I say, God, I don't know why I was acting like a slave to sin again. When you have set me free. But thank you for your forgiveness. And help me to pursue you. Help me to follow you. So that even beforehand, as I get into those things, I might see it and go, time out, this isn't me. I'm not enslaved to this anymore. I'm a slave of God. What fruit were you getting from the things of which you are now ashamed? Because the end of those things is death. But now, verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. The things that we do to glorify God, the things that we do to serve God, the ways that we uh, have our motivations to follow Him, that results in our joy, it results in our sanctification, it results in eternal life, because that's where it's headed. And there are times when I feel like I am so tired of trying to do the right thing. And I wish I were just free, like some of those other people who don't seem to care, and they just do whatever they want. And I think, man, it would be so much easier if I just did it that way. And then I look back at the fruit of that. And I look at the fruit of this and I go, but God, I want to follow you. Even though it's hard, even though it's inconvenient, even though it's not comfortable, even though it doesn't feel that great, I want to walk through the desert and watch you provide for me day after day. And I don't want to go back to that. I want to follow you. And then he lays it out in, in 623 in this crystal clear way. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You were slaves to sin which led to death. The, the wages of that, what you got paid for when you were enslaved to sin was death. And that's the end. That's where it's headed. Shame and death. But now, but now that you have the free gift of God, that's eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How awesome is that distinction? So the, the idea then, right, that if the law is removed, that somehow there would be chaos because, oh no, now people have grace and they can just do whatever they want. He's going, no, because that's still there. Whatever you give yourself to, that's the thing that you're enslaved to. And look at what the choices are. The one it leads to death and the other leads to eternal life. And so choose which are you going to do? And so if we go back to the Israelites, right? They came out of slavery in Egypt. They were brought uh, to Mount Sinai where they were given the law and they were brought through the desert and they grumbled and they complained, but sort of they stuck with God. And as they were getting ready to enter the promised land, Joshua came to them and he talked to them. And in uh, Joshua 24, he stands before them and he says this, Now therefore... 
Fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He says, look, do you remember where you came from? You have been freed from that. Do you want to go back? Look at this culture that you're moving into this new land and look at the gods that they're serving. Do you want that? Or are you going to commit yourself to the Lord? Choose. Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to obey? You've been set free. Not to autonomy, but to choose who are you going to serve. And the people answered in verse 16, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. And therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Look, we know that God freed us. We know that he set us free. We know that we are now in him. And so we are going to serve him. And Joshua said to the people in verse 19, he said, you are not able to serve the Lord. For he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and he set it up there under the terebinth, which was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. See how clearly Joshua lays it before them. Look, you are free. Who will you serve? From the heart, by choice, who will you serve? We no longer have the law to keep us constrained. It's no longer the way that we demonstrate that we are following God. But now, we choose from the heart, because God has saved us, because He has made us His people, we will serve the Lord. And we will follow Him. What then? Is it okay if we just sin? No way. No way. 
Because we have been set free from sin and now may follow Him and worship Him and please Him in all things, knowing what He has done. And so I put it before you. Choose today. Who will you serve? Because you have been set free. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we come to you today knowing that you have set us free in Christ Jesus. That when we believe that Jesus died for our sins and rose again from the dead, we will be saved. And so, Lord, we ask, would you forgive us of our sins? Would you set us free from our sin that we might follow you wholeheartedly? And Lord, I pray for those here this morning who have struggled with that. Who want to have freedom from sin, but want to live for themselves and not be accountable to you. Father, I pray that you would set them free from sin so that they might desire to follow you. Father, I pray for those here who genuinely want to follow you but are tripped up by sin and the old nature. Father, I pray that you would give them your grace, that you would give them your forgiveness, that they might walk in newness of life, set free from the sin that entangles and pulls them back down. Father, would you help us as a community to bear one another's burdens, to encourage and to support one another, knowing that we stand together in grace, but having our eyes fixed forward that we are in pursuit of righteousness and holiness and eternal life. May we be that kind of a community that we extend grace in love and help and support, but we all together are moving forward. And we ask for this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.